0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Jovan Bua is here from The Athletic. You know, uh, over there, it's so great to have another... uh, fantastic writer based in los angeles he's like a foot taller than i am so i kind of hold that against him a little bit uh, as someone who goes (laughs) to dinner with him you know a few times a year but yeah nonetheless he's a fine human being i guess yovan how you
1: doing (laughs) i'm doing well man how are you
0: i'm all right i mean uh, it feels like you've had a busy week this week you already had shannon sharp just uh talking about how oh he's a beat writer he has to say positive things about the team. Otherwise, he won't get people to talk. And, you know, when I think of you, I think of someone who is just positive about the Clippers and did not write some massive story in January about how uh, the Clippers are kind of still trying to figure things out after their moves this summer. That's definitely you, right?
1: Yeah. No, uh, I definitely view myself as a shill who is never critical of the team or of Doc Rivers' rotation decisions. Um, yeah, you know, so that, that, that's me. I, I am Mr. Nice guy who, uh, writes only positive stuff to get people to talk to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, anytime that Yovon's around, I just assume that he is just positive and not out here trying to, uh, stir some shit up within the Clippers locker room. That's, that's clearly it. Not that you were trying to nonetheless. Uh, Yovon, we're going to talk about Kyrie Irving, uh, And him being out for the season to start the show here. Then we're going to move into the bulk of it where we're going to talk about the team that you cover, the Los Angeles Clippers. And just how the race in the Western Conference is shaping up. Because I feel like that is uh, just a very interesting situation in a lot of ways right now. Especially after the trade deadline, there have been some shakeups. So uh, let's start with Kyrie. And I mean, Kyrie is out for the season with shoulder surgery. I don't know. Like, I couldn't get excited about this injury yesterday, like excited about discussing it, about analyzing it, about talking about what it means. I just feel like this is such a gap year for the Nets, even though they were in the playoff picture, that it's just hard for me to really make strong, you know, give a strong take on this in any way.
1: I, I wish we disagreed here, um, you know, <laughs> but the the Nets are right now in the seventh seed, uh, looking at probably a sweep or a, a gentleman's sweep in the first round, uh, awaiting them at the hands of the, the Raptors or the Celtics. And I don't really think Kyrie was, was going to make that big of a difference. Now, if you said Kevin Durant was going to be coming back uh, at some point, which uh, I've, you know, I I don't know if you've heard that, but I, I've heard like random kind of rumors of that, of there's a chance he could come back before the end of the season. I don't buy that whatsoever. Um, but, well, they just like,
0: kind of shut it down, didn't they?
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, yeah. So.
0: But even before that, yeah. Like it was a, th- there it was, was some a, root, yeah. Conversations that were happening like in front offices, right. Where, uh, Oh, like I wonder it was more like speculation. Like, Oh, I wonder if Kevin, if they're sitting in like the sixth seed or he thinks that the two seed or the three seed is vulnerable. Like, will he try and make a push to come back? It wasn't like, uh, Oh, he's going to come back. You know yeah, what I mean?
1: No, exactly. And, So if you you told me that, that, then this gets interesting and, you know, that's a seven seed I wouldn't want to face in the first round with, you know, even with a somewhat compromised KD and Kyrie. Like, you know, I I just believe in star power usually tends to win playoff series. So in most cases they would have, you know, two of the three best players in in a given series. So um, if you told me that, then then I'm interested. But the Nets are going to – lose in the first I mean now maybe they, they miss the playoffs although they have been better than with, with Kyrie on the sideline this season or you know at least close um so I, I think they're, they're probably safe uh if you look at the competition uh, with like the Wizards and the Hornets at the 9 and 10 seed uh they're going to be the 7 or 8 seed and they're going to lose in the first round and I don't really think Kyrie changes that
0: well, here's the funny thing, too. If they miss the playoffs, they get their first-round pick this year. And that pick that is headed to Minnesota after it was uh, headed to Atlanta to clear the cap space to get Kyrie and Kevin Durant last summer, uh, that would then move into 2021, obviously. So it, it is kind of interesting like in terms of the way that it affects their future and the way it affects their flexibility. Like We actually could be looking at a situation where Brooklyn ends up in lottery, and just with the way these new lottery odds have shaken out – I mean it's it's not impossible that they could be getting like a semi real move piece here.
1: Yeah, no. Um I, I just the, yeah, the bottom of the East it's it's still and that's where I mean this so is a bad. separate this is a separate conversation but that's where like I, I kind of reject the premise of the East has is caught the West this season. Maybe at the top, you know. Yeah. I mean Milwaukee's the best team in the league and uh you look at Boston and Toronto and Miami and Philly and you know you could probably throw them against the top of the West but the depth of the West is still so much better, um, and I don't really think it's close.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just look at these teams in the East, like – Chicago doesn't have 20 wins yet. Detroit doesn't have 20 wins yet. Cleveland, uh, the Knicks, Atlanta, Charlotte, these teams are all pretty bad. Even the Wizards, like their defense is just kind of a mess. And then uh, you look across the Western Conference, there are only two teams that don't have 20 wins right now, Uh, one of which is the Tank and Golden State Warriors, and the other one is a Minnesota Timberwolves team that has Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell and is at least frisky when both of those guys are on the court. So, like, that team is probably – the seven or eight seed in the Western or in the East pretty easily. And they're sitting here at 16 and 37 right now.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, just looking at the Suns are 13th in the West at 22 and uh, 33. The Wizards are ninth in the East at 20 and 33. So uh, the the Wizards would be the 14th seed in in the West right now. Um, So, yeah, but that's probably a a topic for a, a different time.
0: Yeah, and I think that the other question that this, brings up with the Nets is it doesn't really give them a chance to evaluate how this roster works with all of the ball handling that is currently on this roster. Like can all of Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Levert share the ball on the court at once, Uh, especially when Kevin Durant comes back. Now they weren't going to get a look at Kevin this year, obviously, but uh, I think that losing that ability to, evaluate how this roster looks in important moments Uh, when Spencer Kyrie and Karis are all trying to carry the load I do think that that does play an adverse role in how they go about operating this summer but we'll see I mean it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch if one of those guys ends up on the trading block in order to you know, either clear out space to retain Joe Harris, if ownership doesn't love going into the tax or uh, if, you know, you, you can kind of pull this a bunch of different directions, but, you know, does Spencer hit the trade market uh, to one of these point guard needy teams? Does Harris hit the trade market? If Kyrie and Kevin say they want to keep Spencer, like it, it's, it, it's a very fascinating set of uh, just different little turning blocks that could uh create this like Rubik's cube of a team. Yeah.
1: How how do you feel about the Nets moving forward? Because I I was cautiously optimistic, right? Because we still don't know how KD is going to recover. It is an Achilles, which is, you know, as we know, the worst probably injury you could suffer. Um, It's it's
0: historically bad, especially for guys that are as tall as Kevin. Now we've never seen someone that is that tall, that is also like that skinny and is, theoretically not weight bearing on the Achilles as much as what Kevin will but yeah i mean i'm with you this is not a good injury to undertake
1: well yeah and then i had talked to some people around the league over the summer uh, kind of uh, approaching his free agency of what they thought he, he would get you know would he get the, the four year max or you know how how would teams approach um you know paying him and, and kind of pursuing him and it was just like across the board no brainer like, this guy's clearly a Max guy, even coming off the Achilles. Like, you know, we yeah. would drop, we would move whatever we could to get him, and we fully expect him to come back as, like, a top-ten player. Like, maybe he's not, you know, in that conversation for number one, the way he was during the playoffs and, and looked like at one point he probably was the best player in the league before he got injured. Um, But, you know, he's going to come back as, like, a top-ten guy. So that gave me some optimism w- with this Nets team, but I, I can't deny the fact that, some of this Kyrie stuff, like just the, the continued, you know, injury history that he's now accumulated over the past few years. Um, You know, some of the, the, you know, chemistry locker room stuff that came out at the beginning of the season Um, and and just the way the team has kind of held its ground without him uh, for the most part. Like, I I just, I don't know how I feel about this team moving forward. Um, I I still felt there were some flaws there, you know, that they weren't going to clearly be the best team in the East say next season. Uh, even if KD returns uh, as good as he, he possibly could be, uh, but I, I don't know. Like, how, how how do you view them going into next season with kind of the way this season has played out? You know, they're under 500. They've had all the Kyrie stuff. Um, again, we don't know how KD is going to return. Like, I, I think I, I am more pessimistic at this point than I was in say mid July.
0: I think all of that is fair. I don't know if I'm more pessimistic but I do think that there's a greater degree of variance now. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the locker room slash, you know, role allocation within locker room stuff, I think is caused by there just being a void at the top right now. Right? Like Kevin isn't like around the team all the time and thus is, you know, just not, not the leader this season that was, You know, he was never going to be that, right? Like, it was going to be Kyrie's show this year. Next year, it's just going to be an entirely different environment. It's going to be an entirely different uh, situation to where Kyrie is going to have to settle into being the number two. And he signed up to be the number two. Like, this is what happened here. Uh, When you go to Brooklyn and you go with your friend Kevin Durant, you know that Kevin is going to be the guy at the top. So, I think it's just going to be different next year. I do think that there are questions in terms of how great is Kevin? Is he a top 10 player? Is he a top 20 player? I would hesitate to go farther than top 20 uh, in terms of him returning and being exceptional just because like he's still seven foot tall with a seven foot five wingspan and an incredibly uh, high release point. So if you even just give him the ball in the mid post and say, hey, Kevin, go make tough shots for us where you can just hit them from a standstill I feel like he's probably going to be able to do that now a lot of like when you watch Kevin Durant the thing that impresses me most about him is the body control and the balance and the ability to stop on a dime as someone that size like Mm -hmm. when I like you watch him on an NBA court and I think that you get the impression that all of that is there but the place where i noticed it most was i went down to ucla i guess it was last summer and just watched him get his shot any single time that he wanted and just he could land on either foot and go straight up he could go right to left crossover land you know right foot left foot however he wants to load into his shot he's going to get to that shot now Does the Achilles injury change something there in terms of balance? Does it change something there in terms of the rhythm that allows him to gain the separation for these things? That remains to be seen, and I'm curious to see where it goes. But I still think he's going to be a good enough player to where when you have him, Kyrie, Karis Levert, I don't know what they're gonna do at the center spot yet, because that whole that situation seems more unsettled than it should be, in my opinion. Uh, I kind of think <laughs> of it as Jarrett Allen should just be the guy, but yep. nonetheless, DeAndre it's Jordan not best
1: friends with KD and Kyrie
0: is best friends with those guys and is playing 22 minutes a night and, you know, averaging eight and 10 points. And there, I haven't been a huge fan of what I've seen from him defensively, but there are advanced stats out there that say he has been one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. They're certainly eighth in defensive rating right now. I think in part because they have Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan capable of shutting down that area around the basket. mean they have a lot of really good role players like you would hope that they keep garrett temple you would imagine that they don't move tory and prince after the extension uh they they have enough guys here even with joe harris's uncertainty and plus karis obviously that they're going to be one of the most talented teams in the east next year it's now if the question is can they play with the clippers can they play with the lakers i think that's their ultimate goal i think that's where i am a little bit more questionable now but You know, I think that a lot of what we've seen from Brooklyn so far is just there's a void at the top of the roster. And I don't really I don't really think there's a way back from that. I always saw this as a gap year. I would imagine they saw it as a gap year. And, you know, even when Kyrie has been on the floor, I mean, he's been ridiculous in terms of efficiency, offensively and scoring ability. Like he's averaging 27 points on 48, 40 and uh, 92 right now. So. Like You mix that with Kevin Durant, and I think that everything's still going to be fine as long as the ball handling stuff out top and everyone being happy with their roles uh, in regard to that works out.
1: So not to change the subject, but we have two pieces of breaking news during this podcast. Um, The NBA announced it has rescheduled the Lakers-Clippers game for Thursday, April 9th at 7.30 p.m. at Staples. Okay. And that that is going to cause a back to back to back for the Lakers. They're going to play three straight games: oh, the gosh. seventh, eighth, and ninth. Uh, so they, they had to move the Lakers Bulls game from the ninth to the eighth. Uh, so the Lakers are going to have three straight home games.
0: So the, uh, and the, the the league is assuming that the number one seed is wrapped up by then. I would imagine.
1: I yeah. I I, I don't know. Um, and then uh, Shams just tweeted that Markeith Morris plans to sign with the Lakers. Uh, he's obviously going to have to clear waivers uh, for that to happen. But um, so, yeah, those, those are the two bits of news.
0: Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I closed my uh, closed the Twitter machine during this podcast. I think Markeith's a good get for the Lakers insofar as he helps them play Davis at the five lineups a little bit mm-hmm. more. Um, I mean, he's basically just like a direct replacement in those lineups for Kyle Kuzma. Do yeah. I think Markeith Morris is better than Kyle Kuzma? Boy, that would be, if you're the Lakers, you don't want people to find out that Markeith Morris is better than Kyle Kuzma. Like almost <laughs> regardless of how they're playing, you don't want that situation to arise because it creates a lot more problems for you. Flexibility wise, long term. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, it's fine. I would imagine that the Lakers have done their due diligence and just don't think that a guard that is worth waiting for is going to come available, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and now it, it sets up the Marcus-Markeith matchup, uh, and I forgot who reported it, so I, I apologize, but someone said on, on Twitter that they're going to be living together. Okay. If uh, Was it was it Shams? I I'm not sure who, who said that, so I apologize, but... Um, it, it was a credible reporter that, that had said they're going to live together if uh, they both live in LA. So that's going to be funny.
0: <laughs> I will uh, see them down on sunset strip here soon. I am sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a good stone's throw from my apartment here in Hollywood. Uh, so yeah, with the nets, I think we'll, we'll just end it there and uh, continue on to the West here because that's obviously where your, uh, where your expertise lies, and I guess, you know, do we want to talk about the Lakers just in regards to, like, and just transition into this before we talk about the Clippers, or do you just want to move into the Clippers here?
1: Uh, we can start with the Lakers. It's cool to me.
0: So, we think the Lakers are the best team, right? Like, we don't really have any real questions about them in the regular season, that is, I mean. Like, we yeah. think that they are playing as the best team in the NBA right now, right? Other than the Bucs.
1: Yeah, I was going to say Milwaukee, but yeah, outside of them, those are the top two teams in the league right now.
0: So obviously the Lakers are doing this, I think, largely with a defense that has been a little bit better than what I anticipated coming into the year because I wasn't sure what they'd get from Dwight. I wasn't sure what they'd get from JaVale. You never know really what you're going to get from LeBron on a night-to-night basis defensively. I've just been really impressed with their defense. Now the question is, how do we think this defense translates – in the playoffs because now we have seen a couple of teams that have the ability to go small and cause them some issues such as, you know, the team that you cover, the Los Angeles Clippers, certainly can go small with uh, Kawhi and Paul George at the 3-4. And then you could even play something like Marcus Morris at the 5 if you wanted to and cause them all sorts of problems uh, and play Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee off the court. And then Houston, obviously – Beats them in the first game uh, that they play their like uber super small ball lineup with Robert Covington, P.J. Tucker, James Harden, uh, Eric Gordon, and Russell Westbrook. So if I'm the Lakers, I feel like my biggest priority over the course of the next 32 games or whatever they have left, 29 games I feel like my biggest priority is figuring out a way to go smaller in lineups. And I think that Marquise Morris helps in that regard, too. But I think that that's my biggest priority is figuring out a way to defend while playing smaller.
1: 100%. Um, you know, I, I have watched a fair amount of, uh, you know, Lakers this season uh, just because they are in L.A. And um, I, my, my roommates are all Lakers fans, so Laker games are always on. But speaking specifically to the Lakers Clippers matchup, which I think everyone kind of assumes is, is probably going to be the, the conference finals, depending on how the seating shakes out. Um, but but th- those are also the games that I've seen, you know, firsthand and, and really gone, to, you know, through and broken down. Like after both matchups, I, I did a, a film breakdown of, of how the two teams kind of stack up against each other. And I think you hit the nail right on the head where when this team is able to go big. They're probably the best team in the league, or you know, I guess it's, it's them and Milwaukee neck and neck, but when this team is forced to go small, which is what the Clippers have been able to do against them in the second halves of both of their wins against them, uh, I, I just don't love the perimeter defense, and yep. you know, particularly against bigger wings. Right. Like, you know, Avery Bradley can can, um, you know, defend smaller guards and, you know, KCP and and Danny Green can defend, I think, most twos reasonably well. Uh, I think Danny Green has slipped a bit defensively, Uh, but, you know, specifically like with the Kawhi matchup or with a Giannis, uh, I think they almost have to throw Anthony Davis. Uh, You know, like I, I thought Anthony Davis did a decent job on Kawhi in the Christmas game. Uh, but now you're potentially taking him away from the rim where he's in the conversation for best rim protector in the league. Uh, you, you're now making yourself more vulnerable in the glass, and you're just kind of expending more energy for him. Uh, you know, I, I thought he kind of looked gassed a little bit towards the end of that Christmas Day game. So I, I think, you know, to your point, they they really got to figure that out because that's the one thing where if they do face a Houston, if they do face the Clippers, um, if they do make the finals and, and face one of the East teams, I think all of those teams can go small against them, have have the talent and the versatility to go small. And that really, you know, if you, I mean, and maybe, who knows, maybe they stay big. Maybe they stick with Dwight or JaVale plus AD and really try to, you know, hammer that because the pace slows down and um, things get more physical and you get away with more contact and stuff in the playoffs. So who knows, maybe they can't afford to stay big and, and, you know, LeBron steps up defensively, and we know playoff LeBron is a real thing. Uh, so, so maybe they're just so good that it doesn't really matter. But my one fear with this team in, in seeing them, you know, twice against the Clippers and, and really diving into the film on, in both matchups is when they have to match up with Kawhi and PG, they do not match up well with them. You know, KCP and Danny Green are just too small. Avery Bradley is too small. Um, LeBron can do it in in spurts, but you're asking so much from him offensively that it's really hard for him to lock in defensively for a full game. Kyle Kuzma cannot do it. Anthony Davis can, but again, you're you're asking so much from him offensively too. So I I just, I don't know. And then I I think also on on the flip side uh, of the the Clippers matchup is the, the Clippers really baited, and I've seen this in other matchups with the Lakers, they baited them into one-on-one post-ups for Anthony Davis, and a lot of times, you know, they send late doubles, they shade over, um, you know, kind of pick him up on his dribble and force him into tough, you know, contested mid-range jumpers. And if, if you're Anthony Davis, you know, if you're if they're going to post him up and really exploit teams for going small against them, you, you got to get into the paint, and you got to get point blank, you know shots within four or five feet of the rim. But if you're settling for 12, 14, 16-foot jumpers that are contested, uh, you know, maybe he gets hot and and wins a game or two and and that's enough to swing a series. But uh, I think the the Clippers will live with that. And I think other teams will live with Anthony Davis taking contested 14-foot jumpers um, for for as good of a shooter as he is. So I think those are kind of the the two things I noticed in, in those matchups where, you know, defensively I have concern over them defending bigger wings and then offensively the, you know, they, they kind of got stagnant a bit and just running these 80 post ups that were fruitless. And if you're going to run that, you got to get him to the rim. You got to get him drawing fouls. Like I just saw Joel Embiid destroy the Clippers just by, you know, rim running and, and posting up yeah. and sealing and, and drawing fouls. And AD has to do that if he's going to exploit uh, smaller defenders
0: well I think that the biggest problem with that against the Clippers and why right now I would probably take the Clippers in a series now like Markeith Morris does give them another body to throw at Kawhi and Paul George and gives them another person you know to cause issues for what I'm about to say but when the Clippers go small they're not actually small I think that that's the biggest problem like they're, they're just skilled like they're playing perimeter based basketball while staying point. big like Paul George is six foot nine with a seven foot wingspan. Kawhi Leonard is six foot seven with a seven foot wingspan and is maybe the strongest player in the NBA for his size. Uh, you know the guards you can kind of do what you want, but like Patrick Beverly is he plays up
1: like yeah he, I've, I've talked to you know people on their player development and, and you know, scouting staff consider Pat he, he's a three and D wing in, in like a six foot one body, but like he, he right. they consider him more of a wing than a, a point guard.
0: Right, 100% right. Um then you have Marcus Morris out there who's like 6 foot 9 and strong and you can throw him on post players or he can guard threes pretty well. Uh you know Rodney Magruder's is another body that you can throw out there. Landry Shamet isn't awesome defensively, but he gives them all sorts of spacing options. Uh Montrez Harrell is very strong at 6 foot 6, 6 foot 7 with like a 7 foot 2 wingspan. So and this is before we even get to Zubats at center, right, who's been one of the best per-minute rim protectors in the NBA. He struggles with fouls still, and he's gotten better at that this year, but, like, it's still not a great situation in regard to him fouling a little bit too much. And I think that that's what uh, the Lakers will probably try to exploit early on in a matchup against Zubats. But, you know, nonetheless, I think that... That's that's the issue, and that's the problem that the, the Clippers present for teams. They can go hyper big while staying skilled, because you can play Kawhi and Paul George at the 2 3 with Patrick Beverly, and then, you know, someone like Marcus Morris and Montrezl Harrell. They can go super small with, like, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Marcus Morris. But in both of those cases, they're capable of not getting dominated in the post because all of the guys on the court are just super strong and super physical and have the size to deal with players and at least cause issues for them when going to the basket.
1: No, I mean, you bring up great points and and I I think that's why I favor, um, I I do favor the Clippers in a series with the Lakers right now. I mean, they're going to play each other two more times over the next month and a half. So I'm going to be very, only one of
0: those games will probably be, like, telling in any way.
1: Yeah. So I would imagine
0: that last game is just not going to mean anything.
1: Yeah, no. Um, well, it might mean something for the Clippers in terms of the battle for the two-seed, but it probably yeah. won't matter for the for the Lakers. Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, that's why I would probably favor the, the Clippers. Um, with the Lakers, my thing with that is I'm just like, you know, we, we've seen this time and time again, especially with a lot of LeBron's teams. Um, Although this team has not coasted in the regular season, and I'm like, you know, I don't know how much better they they can play than they've already played because they've been pretty damn good. Uh, been unbelievable I'm like, so far. I'm like, if you have t- two top five guys, like in almost any, like even even in the Clippers series, they're gonna have two of the three best players. And you could even make the case, depending on how Kawhi plays, they might have the two best players in the series. I, I would say Kawhi's most likely going to be one of the two best players in that series, and. He's actually been the best player in the two matchups so far. Uh, But, you know, I just think in in any series the Lakers play, when you have two of the three best players, and in some cases the two best players, you have a shot against anybody. And, again, it looks like they're probably going to face the Clippers at some point, and that's really going to determine who comes out of the West. But, you know, if for whatever reason they don't, and this team makes the finals, or or they do, and they go through the Clippers. Like I, I just, I really, you know, this team is so talented at the top, where sometimes that that's just all that matters. And whatever flaws you have, you know, the perimeter defense, um, the inconsistent shooting, whatever it is, uh, you know, lack of a third, you know, reliable shot creator, whatever you want, you know, pick your flaw with the Lakers. Like they still have LeBron and AD, and I think yeah. that should be good enough in in most instances to get through a seven game series.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Other than the questions that you've written about over at The Athletic in terms of their togetherness off the court and just you know the way that this roster has coalesced uh, in regard to the way Kawhi is treated and in regard to the way that uh, injuries and load management is dealt with, what do we see as the biggest question on the court for the Clippers right now?
1: I, I think it's twofold. Um, I, I think the question that I've been fascinated with all season is what does the closing lineup look like for this team? And it's gotten more interesting with the additions of Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson, and also with the play of Landry Schammett. Uh I just wrote about this yeah. today. I do this thing called state of the Clippers where I go over 10 storylines with the team every like 10 to 12 games. And Landry Shamet started the season off pretty poorly. You know, for the first 23 yeah. games was averaging eight points a game Uh, shooting like 38% on threes, which is bad for him. Uh, But in the last 15 games, he's up to 14 points a game, 45% on threes. Uh, They've been running a lot more stuff for him, and he's been playing himself into the closing lineup. So for most of the season, the closing lineup has been Montrezl Harrell at the five, Kawhi and PG at the two forward spots and Pat and Lou in the backcourt. And and sometimes Doc has gone with Landry. Sometimes, you know, Mo Harkless, Jermichael Green, he, he's tinkered with it a little bit, but that's usually been the closing five. I think now with Marcus Morris, he's going to work himself into that, whether they go bigger, sliding Kawhi and PG down, or going small, taking Trez out and putting Marcus at the five. But I do think Marcus, with his shooting, with his size, with his toughness in defense, is going to factor in. Now, for me... As someone who follows this team as closely as basically anybody, I have some legitimate questions about the ability to close games with Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams defensively. And Lou, we know, is a bad defender. He's always been a bad defender. But teams this season have really schemed for that and really gone out of their way to run actions that involve Lou Williams. So most of the time you'll see, like especially if they're playing a smaller team, Got you know, Lou's always de- defending the worst offensive player uh, on the opposite team. Uh, but they will drag that guy. You know, he'll go set a ball screen. Uh, you know, if he's guarding like Eric Gordon or, or Ben McAdoo or something, that guy will go screen for James Harden and, and drag mm-hmm. Lou into it. And now he either has to switch onto that guy, or you know, that guy is going to either roll or pop, and, and Lou has to react to that, and his defensive instincts aren't great. So you just, you know, Brad Stevens, I thought, I don't know if you saw that Celtics game, he did an amazing job uh, at picking on Lou and really dragging him into actions and, and exploiting that. And and Trez, um, you know, I, Trez is one of the most polarizing guys defensively, I, I think, in, in the league, just because, you know, even within the Clippers, you talk to some people and they're high on him defensively. You talk to some other people, they're low on him defensively. And you know, he's he's a six foot seven center with a seven three wingspan, or actually seven four wingspan. So he, he's got the length, but at the end of the day, he's six foot seven, and he he himself also doesn't have the best defensive instinct. So if you see him right. rotate, he'll often be a beat late. Sometimes he's a little bit early, but usually he's a beat or two late. And you know, he'll get the highlight block or, or two every now and then, and that's where you know the people that are high on him defensively. Will be like, well, see, he can protect the rim, and his rim protection number is actually decent. But watching him a lot, I have my questions of, you know, he's not a good defensive rebounder. He's not the best rim protector, and just in most matchups in the post, he's giving up a lot of size. So, you know, for, for I've been someone who's been on Team Zubats of. I think he should play more. And I think really, if you look at the, you know, the, the best and, and biggest teams, the Bucks, the Lakers, the Sixers, like those the, the nuggets those to me are more Zubots matchups where i think he matches up better with Jokic and, and brooke lopez and rudy gobert and those types of guys uh, but to me it's just fascinating how does this team close games because i think I, they've lost some close games where they've been exploited defensively where they've given up key offensive rebounds and lou and trez don't help defensively and they don't help on the glass and that to me now that you have a Marcus Morris, now that you have a Reggie, well, I don't think Reggie Jackson should close, uh, but I, I think he'll help offensively. Now that you have more I, weapons, I I'd be I pretty
0: stunned if Reggie Jackson was anywhere near the closing. Well, I, I
1: guess my, my my point was more like they don't, like last season they needed Lou regardless of his defensive limitations. He was always, yeah. you know, he was the go to guy. Now you have Kawhi and PGU who are going to run the offense through late in games. I think that's where guys like Landry and Pat become more valuable as floor spacers, as guys who don't need the ball and they're better defensively than Lou. And then, you know, zoo, or maybe you go with your Michael green at the five and kind of, you know, they closed the games last season in the playoffs with him at the five. They really liked that. Um, that was a big adjustment for them in the warrior series. So I think if anything, they almost have too many options where I'm just, I'm very interested to see how doc kind of decides that. And he, he has been rigid with the closing lineup. Like, the, the four top scorers, you know, Trez, Lou, Kawhi, and PG have almost always closed. He rarely benches Trez or Lou. So I'm just like, you know, I think this team is talented enough where it might not really matter who closes games. But for for my money, I would probably go in a different direction than they have gone. And that to me is like the one thing where I'm like, if this is a clo- if there's a close game with seven minutes left in, in the playoffs and they're closing with Lou and Trez, I have my concerns defensively. Uh, where I think now they have alternatives, where you you know. Marcus Morris is a better defender, I think, than Trez, and you could close a game with him right. and probably feel more comfortable with the spacing he's going to provide um, and, and some of his versatility. So that, to me, is the most fascinating on-court thing right now with this team.
0: Yeah, I agree with you uh, in terms of who is going to close and what they do. And I do think I agree with the questions about Lou in this lineup. If they're, It's funny because they almost always tie Lou and Trez at the hip. Right? Yeah. Like, those two guys are almost always going to play together. And, you know, it's not unsound reasoning why they do. They are exceptional together in ball screens. They are, the chemistry they have together is unbelievable. And yet, I worry about playing Lou in a lineup in the playoffs when you don't have an elite level rim protector backing him if he does get beat. That, I think, is, I think they almost are going to have to choose one. Because yeah. while Kawhi, Bev, and PG are all exceptional at being able to not only shut down their man defensively, but even being able to like roam and help defensively a little bit, I do think that it's going to be hard to have two guys that are that questionable defensively on the court at once. Now, their scheme does help with rim protection. In general, like they do uh, drop a lot and, you know, have guys come over and tag and they do have guys kind of trying to crowd the paint, especially with all of their length. But uh, I think that that's why Montrez's rim protection numbers don't look particularly bad. Um, Having said that, I do just worry about having multiple guys that can be attacked on the court at once whenever it slows down and we get into like slightly more isolation heavy basketball.
1: Yeah, and that's why, to me, I, I personally, I think, obviously, I mean, Kawhi and PG are obviously going to close games, but I would probably yeah. look at something like Marcus or Jamichael uh, at the five, yep. Kawhi, PG, Pat, and Landry. And then if you're playing a slightly bigger team, you put Jamichael at the five, and then you go Marcus, Kawhi, PG, and then Pat or Landry, whoever's playing better. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Pat just for the defense, uh, but... You know, and look, I, I still I'm I'm gonna die on the Zubats hill. Um, I do think you know there are it's certain really matchups. Really useful. Like like I think against Denver, if if they're going Jokic, um, yep. I, you know, I, I wrote about it early uh, or not earlier in the season, but like a month ago, um, where they played a game in Denver and Zubots pretty much shut Jokic down. I think he was like one for five, and some of that you know lineup or you know matchup data is, is a little bit wonky. It's not 100 percent accurate, but basically. Jokic went one for five uh, against Zubats. And I think the Nuggets as a team scored like 12 points in the paint uh, in the 20 minutes Zubats played. And, and there was something like six for 18 or so, so, something drastic where it was like, yeah, like they're not really scoring inside when, when Zubats is out there. Then the other 28 minutes that, that Trez was out there, I think they went like 12 for 20 and had like, you know, what I guess 24 points in the paint. Um and, and uh, Jokic, you know, went like three for five, and it was just like that in a nutshell, you know, that's one game, and, you know, you can kind of cherry-pick different stuff, but, like, that's kind of been the trend all season is, you know, especially you know, with the Lou-Trez combo, you know, they're both averaging almost, you know, 20 points a game, and, and you look at that in it's great but on the other end people are running pick and rolls at them like right. <laughs> for as good as they are at running pick and rolls you know people will pick and roll them and and you know i just think that all season you've kind of seen you know the team's rebounding drops the team's points in the paint increases when trez is out there and it's not his fault that you know that that's he's just six foot seven and, and you know that's kind of the limitation of of his his size but i do think that uh, you know Doc has always favored Trez. You know, he he said throughout the season he favors Trez. He he favors his offense. Um, you know, we there's been multiple games we've pressed him on it of like, you know, Zubots is playing well, why don't you keep him in there? And then he'll he'll point to something that he didn't like. Um so the, the leash with Zubots is very short. Doc clearly does not fully trust him and I, I you know, it sounds like he's not gonna close games. But that's my one thing with this team is like even taking away the defense it's more of a rebounding thing where they've had multiple fourth quarters where they've just lost games because they've been unable to get defensive rebounds and i I think that's like my one concern with them um against if you look at the best teams in the league outside of maybe houston like most of them are big right like you know milwaukee's big the lakers are big denver's big utah's big um some of the east teams are you know have the versus like boston and toronto can go big or small miami uh, can play big Miami can play big, like so. Most of these matchup, you know, like I think, to, like to me, Trez is, is a guy who. That's why I'm fascinated to see what he gets paid this summer, uh, especially now that the market is kind of tightened up. But, like he he looks great against 90% of the league. Like Trez is yeah. an all star against 90, you know, 25 out of 30 teams. He's an all star against. He'll put up his 20 and eight and, and get a block or two and, and look great. But it's those other five or six teams. Which are happen to be the best teams in the league, uh, where his, you know, like Rudy Gobert gives him a ton of trouble, uh, Jokic gives him trouble. Um, he, he's actually matched up decently well with Anthony Davis. The Brooke Lopez matchup gave him some trouble, like rotating out to his three point shooting and just Lopez's size. So, like those are the matchups I think you you gotta lean Zubats a little bit. Um, and not to go off on a Zubats tangent, but that, that's where to me it's just it's all about the closing because for the for the first forty minutes, this team is so deep. They have, you know, now maybe the the best second unit in the league if they didn't already have it, uh, where, you know, they're fine for those 40 minutes. But when it comes down to crunch time, you know, last five to seven minutes of a close game and your weaknesses really matter, I don't know yeah. if you can get away with having two defensive liabilities.
0: Yeah. And I don't think we mean to, like, crush Trez or crush Lou Williams or anything like like you said, like these two guys are absolutely awesome offensively, and I don't think we're advocating playing them less than like 25 minutes a night. No, no, like, not, not at all. Yeah, like those two guys are going to be critical parts of this team and how far they go. It's just whether or not they're uh, parts of a closing lineup, and I think it's going to depend on how many tight games they play in the playoffs, how many uh, how many situations call for smaller lineups, how many situations call for bigger lineups. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, Jovan, we're both still under 30, (laughs) me for two more months, you for, what, four more years, right?
1: Three three years, three years.
0: Three more years. So... The one thing that is very different about us is that while you have a full head of hair that just continues to pull out more and more hair seemingly every time I see you, uh, my hair is, it's just going backwards. And two out of three guys experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35. The good news is that with today's advancements in science, keeps often provides treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. You don't have to go broke to avoid going bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there. Some of you may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Plus, Keeps now offers a prescription shampoo to keep your scalp healthy, too. Uh, look, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash game theory. That's K-E-E-P-S com slash game theory K E E P S dot com slash game theory, slash game theory. Uh, and you're going to get your first month of treatment for free that's keeps dot com slash game theory uh, the second sponsor today is uh, our good friends over at bet online uh, football is over but basketball hockey golf uh, all of these sports are still active uh, and you can find all the odds with our exclusive sportsbook partners over at betonline.ag they have been in the industry for over 20 years providing customers with the first two market odds and giving you the ability to bet anytime anywhere head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and have a little fun with some betting action today BetOnline, you're on online Online sportsbook experts. All right, Yovan, know, where do you want to go next? I mean, we've brought up tangentially the Nuggets, the Jazz, Houston. Uh, those three seem to be the most interesting ones to me, followed by Dallas and Oklahoma City in some order. But which team do you want to go to next?
1: Well, I actually have a quick question for you, just, just to follow up on, on our previous discussion with the Clippers. Um,
0: does it how involve do you, male pattern baldness? No.
1: Uh, how do you see? Because I saw a bunch of, and I'm obviously deep in Clippers Twitter, so you know that can be an echo chamber. But I saw a bunch <laughs> of people, um, you know, uh, reacting very positively to the Reggie Jackson signing, and I think there's a chance where it just doesn't even matter because he doesn't play that much and, like, it doesn't really affect things and whether he's good or bad or, or solid, oh, whatever.
0: Oh, no, it, it's definitely going to matter even if he doesn't play because they kept him away from the Lakers.
1: Well, yes, but it, well, it's, it's going to matter either way. But I'm, I'm saying in, like, um, it just, like, for, for the team itself, like, whether it, you know, how he might not impact them that much. Yeah. But I am intrigued now because they added Marcus Morris, and I don't know if you've seen any of their game. You know, they've only played three games with him. But in the Philly and Boston games, there were multiple possessions where you saw the ball stopping of Marcus Morris, and, you know, they're (laughs) running an action, and instead of swinging it to the weak side, he decides to hold the ball and call for an ISO or call for a screen and then take, like, a contested mid-range jumper uh, while Kawhi and PG are out there, and he hit some big shot. You know, he hit a big shot in the Sixers game. He hit a big shot. Uh, to help it go to another overtime in the Celtics game. So, like, you know, I, and I've talked to, I was talking to Jared Weiss, and, and he was saying, you know, the one thing you can count on with Marcus is he, he's a clutch shot maker. Like, he's going to take some big shots, probably shots you don't want him to take, but he is clutch. He makes yeah. big shots. So, you know, with that, I am just like, this team already had Kawhi and PG, who are somewhat, well, not even somewhat, like they are ball dominant, kind of ISO heavy guys. You have Lou Williams, who's another ISO-heavy guy. And then you have Trez, who is one of the best rollers and rim runners in the league, but also likes his post-ups and his mid, you know, kind of mid-post ISOs. So now you add in Marcus Morris, who's another ISO guy. And then you add in Reggie Jackson, who is a shoot-first point guard, who for the last seven years has played 27 or more minutes every season and averaged 13 or more points every season. And now you're asking that guy to come in and be a 10 to 15-minute-a-night bench guy and share the ball with Lou Williams. So it's not like he's even going to be necessarily running the offense. He's going to be co-piloting it with Lou, and Lou will probably get the ball more than than him anyway. So you're basically telling Reggie, come off the bench for 10, 12, 15 minutes a night, be a spot-up shooter, and, you know, don't close games. So there's a part of me that's like, on paper, if this all works out, this team, I think, has the the best, you know, 1 through 10, it's the best rotation in the NBA. They have, you know, that second unit of... Trez, Jermichael, uh, Landry, Lou, and Reggie Jackson is, to me, the, the best second unit in basketball. Uh, but you also have seven guys now uh, b- between Kawhi, PG, Trez, Lou, Landry, Reggie, and Marcus, who all kind of expect to be playing 25 to 30 minutes a night, getting their 10-plus shots, you know, averaging 12 to 15-plus points. And I, I just wonder if at some point that kind of hurts this team, Uh, where there are possessions where you see Marcus isolating and taking bad shots you see Reggie Jackson running a pick and roll with Trez and he's taking a step back three or or a contested mid-range shot like I do wonder if at some point having too many offensive options especially guys who are very iso heavy uh, guys who are shoot first and not pass first comes back to haunt this team Uh, and, and that's kind of the one thing I think where like you almost have, you can have almost too much talent and too much. It's just too much me, me, me. I want the ball. I want to take this shot. And again, it, maybe it works. And, and Reggie and Marcus fully buy in. They accept smaller roles. They, they move the ball. They, they're, they're not ISO heavy, but it's kind of hard to teach a, you know, an old dog, new tricks sometimes. And I do wonder, can this potentially hurt this team in, 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 you know, big moments in the playoffs?
0: I think that the playoffs are just such a different beast from the regular season. Like I would venture on some level Marcus Morris does not want his like per game numbers to drop because he has to re enter the free agency market this summer. And while the Clippers now have the ability to pay him, I believe it's gonna be like eighteen million. Yeah. And that's probably more than anyone's gonna pay Marcus per year. But I I wonder if he wants to just, you know, maybe set himself up to not be in a problematic situation uh, where he's stuck on the marketplace next summer. Uh, Reggie Jackson is just like, I I am unconvinced that he's going to do anything but play 10 to 15 minutes a night. Uh, And like, I understand that now the lineups are a little bit too ball dominant and they are a little bit too uh, lack of pass heavy. uh, We'll say I, I get that I do, but I also just, like, kind of think that for the most part, the Clippers have done a pretty good job of, like, getting good people on the roster. Like, people that are good teammates. Because, like, while Marcus will take these bad jumpers, he is also someone that, like, his teammates tend to like. Um, Yeah. You know, Lou Williams, you will never hear a bad word about Lou Williams from his teammates. There's like, nope. another ball-dominant guy that might have to take a step back in the playoffs, right? Um, you know, Landry Shamit is not a guy that's going to, you know, as a second-year guy, is not going to complain about not getting the ball come playoff time, I don't think. Um, like, you can go down the list. Now, you know, Reggie's obviously going to be there, and I'm sure that Reggie on some level hopes to get the ball enough, but... You know what? Like, Reggie's not been a disaster catch-and-shoot guy over the course of his career. So I think that if you play him in that role, uh, play him with Lou on the ball and have Reggie just spot up on the wing and knock down shots, like, yeah, it's a reversal back to the role that he didn't want to be in when he was in Oklahoma City. But you know what? Now he's gotten paid, and now he has been on the other side of uh, not winning games and being stuck in the middle in Detroit. So you know, if he's serious about winning, I think that he'll fall in line and hopefully be the you know, second unit creator that essentially Jerome Robinson couldn't be. I mean
1: I think you're right. Like I do I do think this is more likely to work than not work. I just wonder at some point
0: It's a bet, for you, sure. Like yeah, you're you're hundred percent like, right. It's a bet.
1: Yeah, and I I I I just think you're you're asking like in both instances, it's like Marcus is coming in as you know the it was the number one option in new york having a career year and now he's what the fourth or fifth option on this team like you know and and maybe even the sixth some nights with the way landry's been playing offensively recently uh then you have reggie coming in who's who's been a starter the last five years and, and been paid as such and now you know you're not only are you telling the, him you come know what bench, though but, with,
0: with reggie i think the thing is he could have gone to the lakers and gotten this like he could have had the role that he had with Detroit, probably with the Lakers, right? Like I mean, could... I would
1: say this is where some of the agent politics stuff comes in because he does share his best friend, right. of Paul George, and his agents, Aaron Mintz, who obviously he and the Lakers don't have the best relationship, to say the least. So that's, that's where it's like, I don't know if it's, you know, maybe if he had, you know, agent X and there was no politics involved, maybe he ends up going to. The Lakers instead, because I think he would have theoretically a bigger role with the Lakers.
0: But like I think um, we I think we often underrate the agency that like these human beings involved in making the decisions have. Like, unquestionably, the fact that he's very close with Paul George and shares an agent with Paul George played some sort of role. But you know what? Like if he wants to go to Aaron Mintz and be like, the Lakers I would assume the Lakers offered him something because yes. they'd be crazy not to, right? Uh if he really wants to go to the Lakers and have a bigger role, like, he can just go, Aaron, make this happen. And it
1: happens. It's it's fair. It's fair. Like,
0: it's not to, you know, totally disregard what you're saying because I think it's accurate, but you know what? Like, when you have friends on the team and when you have guys that are telling you, like, look, this is how it's got to be. You know, we have Lou. We have this established hierarchy. We have Pat who's going to play ahead of you because he's our guy. Like, he's the – defensive stopper that we need out there with the rest of our guys who can be a low usage guy who's happy to just knock down threes i think that stuff tends to go a long way toward you know maintaining the happiness or the relative happiness that you'll find
1: yeah no um so you want to dig into the other three teams
0: yeah, let's, let's – where do you want to start with those three, I guess? Like, which team – the Houston thing is obviously the most interesting, but, like, where do you want to start in terms of the team that maybe you think is the most dangerous?
1: I think it's Utah. Um, and these three teams are so fascinating because I'm looking at it right now. In net rating, they're separated by 0. .4. Uh, right. Utah is at 4.3, and Denver and Houston are tied at 3.9. Um, So, like, just up to this point, I think these three teams, like, it's really – Flip a coin who you think is better. Uh, but I, I think Utah. And you know what
0: the funny thing is, too, about it? I think they all cause different problems for different teams as much as anything. Like, I think yeah. they're all very close and probably pretty darn close to equal in terms of who is better than the other one. But, like, Utah probably causes more problems for the Clippers, whereas Houston, uh, I think, is kind of, like, nullified by the Clippers being able to go small. But Houston, yeah. I think, causes a lot of problems for the Lakers because of that small lineup.
1: 100%. Um, U- Utah is 2-1 against the-, the Clippers this season, and Rudy, uh, Rudy Gobert Gobert's given them fits um I mean I, I think Utah what I like about them most is I, I think I trust their two-way ability the, the most out of these yeah. three teams um and you the know, crazy like right, thing
0: is I don't know if we've seen the best of their defense yet
1: exactly I mean right now they're eighth in defensive rating uh the Nuggets are 10th and the Rockets are 15th and I, I just trust Utah defensively more uh, I think like I have some questions about Denver's playoff defense. I obviously have some questions about Houston's defense Um, offensively, of course, Houston is is at a different level. Uh, But I I think this, you know, with the jump that Donovan Mitchell has taken um, adding Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, even adding Mike Conley, who I know, you know, has has struggled for most of the season. Uh, But I, I just think as a, in a playoff series, I, I think you know, I think they've like I think he's too talented and Quinn Snyder's too good of a coach not to figure that out in, in some capacity come playoff time. Um I, I really like this Utah team. I, I think they, they've gotten the short end of the stick uh in terms of seeding the last couple of years yeah. where like had they been on the other side of the bracket last year, I think they could have made a conference finals run. Um, you know that that Houston matchup has been really difficult for them the, the past couple of years. Um, so, but I think if they're in like Denver or Portland's slot, they could have made at least the semifinals, if not, you know, conference finals. But, um, well,
0: you know what though? Like, they're probably going to have to get by Houston in the first round. Like, that's what yeah. it looks like most right now. And yeah. No. That's like such a fascinating because I, if we're talking about like in a vacuum, I think Utah is probably a better team. I think I think it's very very close, but like. Man, they can Houston can just cause so many problems for Gobert right now.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the that's the chess match that um you know I I really think I think you, well now with with Capella being out you know I think it kind of makes more sense because I I'm really high on Clint Capella um and again everything I look at is is kind of through a Clippers lens just because I'm I'm so you know um focused on that but. In the Clippers matchup, like he killed the Clippers, and they had no answer for him on those, you know, lobs, offensive rebounds, and I just think he's one of those guys that can really. I mean, he can be played off the floor, as we saw in like the Warriors series, and but there aren't, there isn't like a Warriors type team really this season, um, in terms of going that small, and I mean, if anything, it's Houston. So like I, I think, in theory, I think he, he was a big piece for them, but with, with I'm, the a, news I'm a that little he's bit out,
0: dubious of his health.
1: Right well, now. that's the, but that's the thing. So with him being out the next few weeks um, yeah. and, you know, potentially who knows what his status is going to be the rest of the way, getting a Robert Covington and just going all in on, on the small lineup, like it's completely unlocked Russell Westbrook. This is the best he's played in years, maybe the best he's ever played. Um, You know, it's been a little bit of an adjustment for Harden. He, he's kind of slipped up a bit, but slipping up for him is still, you know, 30-plus points uh, a night. And, uh, I, I, you know, I for them, I, I would – I'd love for them, and, you know, I know he hasn't cleared waivers yet, so maybe it happens, but I'd love for them to, to get Markeith Morris um, and, and claim him off waivers, and, and they could do that with their trade exception. Uh, you know, you could use that on waivers. So That'd be hilarious. It would be hilarious. Um, but, like, I think he, you know, he's better than Jeff Green for sure. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think, of course, the, the, the rim protection and the rebounding are going to be huge things for them, and that's where I think they ultimately probably fall. Um, but... And like you said, I think like a team like the the Clippers, or it could be the you know if they make the finals, it could be the Bucks, it could be the Celtics. Like I think there are other teams that can go small and, and beat them at that game uh, w- with better wings and, and more you know two way versatile guys. Uh, but I, you know they they to me are the team of of the the highest variance. Like I could see them getting completely smacked in the first round to a Utah or a Denver or a Clippers or Lakers. Uh, you know depending on how the seating plays out in like five games i could see them making the conference final i, I don't see them getting to the finals i think they have a, they, they probably lose to one of the two la teams but um i you know I, I think houston has a very wide variance where whereas utah and denver i'm a little bit more like okay they probably lose in the semi-finals the two la teams i think that they, they're probably going to be in the conference finals and, and one of them makes the finals. But um uh, Houston, to me, is the wild card of, like, I could see almost any scenario in the postseason for them.
0: If I'm Houston, I want to stay right where I am. Like, I, I want to be the five seed. Uh, I'm comfortable. I would rather have a road series against Utah than a home series against the Clippers. Like, yep. or a home series against... Uh, you know, even Denver, honestly, I think is probably better at causing issues for them than Utah. Uh, and then right now, the number one seed is the Lakers, and I think they cause problems for the Lakers with their ability to go small. I kind of think Houston is like the team that really can play spoiler if the bracket stays similar to what it looks like right now. Uh, it's all about matchups. Like we talk about this with the NCAA tournament every year, uh, with you know, a bubble team that ends up making a deep run when we're picking our brackets, right? Like, it's not that this team is bad. It's that they're a great matchup against this specific team. Houston, you know, they've beaten Utah each of the last two years in the playoffs, and you damn well better believe that they're going to be going into that series confident thinking that they can beat them again. Uh, And if, you know, even so, like right now, they're at an optimized scenario to be able to cause problems for Utah in a way that they haven't been previously. And then you look at it from the Lakers' perspective. I mean, that, that first game that they had Robert Covington, like, that would scare the shit out of me if I was the Lakers right now. Like, that would absolutely terrify me because they looked awesome in that game. And, like, look, I know that uh, since they've had Covington, like, they've lost to Utah at home, right? It was a super tight game. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was, like, a, maybe like a one-point two point three point it was like a one possession game for sure when both teams were basically like at full capacity and that series is going to be super close but like man if i'm houston i'm feeling pretty okay about where i'm at uh heading into this uh little stretch run here especially if they can start to figure out how to just be hyper disruptive defensively in a way that uh you know at times they just haven't been this year
1: well, yeah, and that's why I, I reject the premise that Houston has been some type of failure over the last— Like, this is the one team—
0: Oh, no. We, a- anyone that seen, says that drives me crazy. This is— Yeah, this yeah, is the continue. one team we've seen put, push
1: the KD-era Warriors in, in a series. Like, really, the, the I mean, now the Raptors last year, but that was— You know, KD was out, and, um you know, they were dealing with— some injuries you know clay Play, went out too and yeah. i i who knows how that series plays out if, if those guys are healthy but you know it, against the healthy warriors um the the rockets and last season's clippers team uh are the only team to p- <laughs> to push <laughs> the the KD you know warriors in a series and i think pe- pe- you know pe- people daryl is very he's a polarizing figure james harden is a polarizing figure um Chris Paul and, and Russell Westbrook are, are polarizing figures. So like it's made sense why they've gotten so much flack and, and hate. hate, um, you know, they, they probably are the most disliked team in the league, or at least that in that conversation by like the casual fan, but you can't deny how good they've been. You can't deny how great James Harden has been. You can't deny that this small ball thing is looking like it's going to work or at least maximize their potential. And again, if they fall to a, one of the LA teams, it's just kind of like, okay, well we lost to a better team, but You know, I I just – I think Daryl and and the organization deserves credit for trying something no one's really tried or, like, fully gone pot committed. Like, you know, outside of Tyson Chandler, this team does not have a center on this roster right now. Um,
0: How dare you disparage Isaiah Hartenstein?
1: Well, yeah, um, you know. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe he's better than Tyson Chandler. But – really in the rotation, they don't even have a center. And I just think we've never seen a team do this, um, at least off the top of my head, or at least a a contender do this. Right? Um, You know, some of those Don Nelson Warriors teams kind of went centerless, um, you know, back in the day, but, Really, we've never, we've never seen a, a, a team with the potential to win 55-plus games and, and make a finals and, and win a championship go centerless like this. So I, I think – Well, gotta... like
0: if, it's not even just like centerless. Like, you know, in today's NBA, Robert Covington is like kind of a four and yeah. P.J. Tucker is, you know, a four. But, you know, in past decades, like in the 90s, these guys are threes. Like, they're not even just going without a center. They're going without like a traditional four-man even – And that, I think, is what's so awesome and why why I love this experiment uh, that Daryl's undertaking. Like, I I think it's fantastic and I think it's a great idea to just totally take this to the extreme of where it'll go. Like, I I wrote this whenever uh, Seth Partnow, Danny LaRue, and I broke down this trade originally. Like, I was listening to Steve Nash and Bill Simmons on Bill's new, like, History of Basketball podcast. And the thing that Steve said was basically a lot of the people associated with the Phoenix Suns teams of the, you know, mid-2000s to late-2000s, the seven seconds or less teams, the thing that they regret is not taking their style of play, their small ball, their up-tempo, their heavy three-point chucking team – to a far enough level. Uh, you know, they were seen as being at the forefront of the Pace and Space Revolution at the time, but they actually regret not even going farther than that. And I love the fact that the team that Mike D'Antoni has now is the one that is just taking this to its farthest extent. Uh, that he has a GM in Daryl Morey that is willing to just go all the way to it, go as far as he can, zig as far as he can, while the rest of the league is, you know, semi-zagging a little bit, uh, and just going for it. And, and I think that that's going to be really interesting. Like, I, I'm very excited to watch Houston the rest of the way here now.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating. And um, I, you know, I, I also think it's interesting that they're doing that uh, again to kind of go back to the conversation of, like, the league's best teams. Like, most of the teams in the league... The you know the best teams have a lot of size. Like you look at yeah. Milwaukee, you know Brook Lopez and, and Giannis, and um, you, you go to Utah, Rudy Gobert, and you you go to the Lakers and, and AD plus the centers, and um, you know the the Clippers like you said. Philadelphia is huge. Philadelphia is huge at, at every position. Um, you know Toronto can can be pretty big with Gasol and Ibaka and, and Siakam and. Uh, the Clippers, as you said, you know, don't necessarily. I mean, Zubats is big, but outside of him, they're just big kind of across the board, like two through four, right. two through five. Uh, so really, everyone else is going big. The league has been trending bigger with the best teams, and Houston is really just saying, "Screw it, we're going all in on this small stuff." And like, it might work. Like, who who knows? Um, I ultimately like have some again some concerns about the defensive side, and just once the game slows down, and you know, we have seen size has kind of mattered in, in the playoffs. And that was kind of the sneaky thing with, with golden state was, um, you know, they, they did go smaller, but they were pretty big across the, you know, Steph is, is big for a point guard and everyone else was, you know, their size or bigger at, you know, two right. through five. Um, and, you know, Katie was a seven foot you know power forward. So, it, you know, that's where some of the golden state stuff is, you know, th- they're, like they're bigger than Houston was, even though they went small th- themselves. So, right. um, I think, and then there, I think, obviously more sound defensively just with, with Draymond and Clay and KD uh, and Iguodala. So that to me is, is kind of going to ultimately be like, you know, how good can Houston be defensively? And, you know, like you said, they have been pretty disruptive and they've looked pretty good. And um, I think, you know, again, you're going to see stuff where, like, they play the Lakers and, and they're going to be trying to post up Anthony Davis and, and saying, hey, you know, go take 15 shots on the block. Uh, and that could actually. I think play into Houston' favor, uh, so it, it's going to be a fascinating chess match. Like I'm, I'm very excited for the playoffs. And, and the one team that we haven't talked about uh, because they're a little bit lower in the standings, although their net rating is better than all three of these teams, is the Dallas Mavericks. Um, yeah,
0: that, that's where I was going to go next to either Dallas or Oklahoma City. Worry you, and I think that there is. Uh, I'll say this: like I talked to some executives around the league for playoff teams, and they don't really want to play Dallas because they're worried that Dallas can just like catch fire from three and just rain hell upon you basically.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's Lucas. I mean, he, he's special. Um, And, and look, this team has a 5.7 net rating. They, they have a better net rate. They have the second best net rating in the West behind the Lakers. They have a better net rating than the Clippers. Um, And, They've obviously lost some close games, which is why their their record is what it is. Uh, and you know they're a couple games back from Houston for the five seed. But uh, Dallas, probably, you know, I guess of those bottom three seeds, you know, six through eight, they clearly have the highest upside. I think, um, even more so than OKC. Although, I don't think you want to play OKC either because y- you will probably win that series. Uh, you know, if they if they end up being the seven seed and you're the two seed you probably won that series in let's say five games maybe six depending on the matchup uh but you're going to be beat up after that series you know like steven adams is going to beat you up inside um you know chris paul is chris paul um you know that that's a tough team and they're going to make you work for it and i I think you know i I thought it was really telling that chris paul was one of the the you know 10 guys closing the all-star game and i know he's it was team lebron he's best friends with lebron so that was part of it but I actually thought he deserved to be out there, like, with the way he had played in that game. Um, And it just kind of showed, like, Chris Paul is still really, really good. He deserved to be an all-star. He's still, I think, in that top 20 player conversation at his peak. Um, And if he can kind of channel that in a playoff series, you know, Shea is obviously someone I'm very high on, having seen him up close last season and and seeing his development, his step-back jumper, his pull-up jumper, um, just his size and versatility. Schroder, you know, Dennis Schroeder is probably the favorite for Sixth Man of the Year right now. Uh, Steven Adams is still, I think, one of the more underrated bigs in the league, and then Danilo Gallinari, when he's healthy, um, is, you know, one of the best shooting fours in the league and and just you know his his face-up game and um, his ability to isolate and just very efficient shooter so I I like OKC too Um, and I I think that's where the Lakers getting you know the the one seed most likely is a huge break for them because whether it's Memphis you know Memphis is good too and then you you have Portland who's making a push for the eight seed but I think there's a huge gap between that like six seven and eight um, in my opinion and, and who you're playing in the first round and like you know, I expect the Lakers to probably sweep in the first round, maybe lose a game, but most likely sweep. Uh, whereas that, you know, two and three seed, you're gonna have a dogfight against you know Dallas and OKC. Like that's going to be, it's not gonna be an easy even if you win in five games or, or sweep them. I think all those games will be hard fought, close, you know, coming down to the wire because those two teams are really solid, um, and I think they're better than sort of the average like six or seven seed recently.
0: I do agree with that, that they're better than the average six or seven seed. I will just note, Dallas is three and nine this year against the top five teams in the West. Uh, mm-hmm. I do wonder if some of that, like, you know, front office, you know, we don't really want to play Dallas stuff because they can get hot. I wonder if some of that's like a little bit misguided because they can struggle a little bit defensively. And you know, there are just a lot of places to exploit on that end of the floor. Dallas uh now Oklahoma City's four and seven against the top five seeds so a little bit better I don't know what to expect from Oklahoma City in a playoff series outside of knowing that like if it's tight Chris Paul can take over but you gotta get there I think against teams that are legitimately more talented than they are right like if it's a tight game in the fourth quarter I actually do really trust Chris Paul to be able to like potentially eke out like a couple of those games in the series but I I mean like I love Gallinari I really love Steven Adams Shea is really good but Shea will be playing his first playoff series as like a guy that is a go-to guy in a playoff series and I wonder how that goes uh and the same can be said for Luca, by the way now Luca's just kind of a different beast insofar as like he's won MVP awards in Europe like during finals pushes and like has won a EuroLeague title and stuff but I do just wonder if they can get close to if they can keep games tight in the playoffs to where they can allow Chris Paul to take over, uh, especially given the fact that you probably have to play Chris uh, you know 35 to 40 minutes a night in the playoffs versus uh, what they're doing now with them.
1: No, that, that's a, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, I mean I, I saw it last year with Gallo. Uh, the, the Warriors really schemed him out of that series, and that's kind of one of the things that's been a criticism of him is yeah. he can be passive and, and deferential at times. And um, you know, he, he's a tough player. Like he, he's not, you know, there's always the, the kind of soft European stigma out there, but he, he's not that by any means. But I think he is. He is almost too selfless to a fault at times, where. If he doesn't love the shot, he will move the ball, even though he is one of the best – like I, you know, he's one of the best shooters in the league. Like last season, he flirted he with the 50-40-90 season. Like he, he's a special shooter. Um, but, yeah, and, and then Shea, like you said, he's never been really schemed against in, in a focus of a defense. So we'll see how he handles that and just kind of the bright lights of, of being that guy in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, it is a lot on Chris Paul and – We've seen Chris break down towards the end of seasons, you know, the past couple of years. How does he handle, you know, he's not sharing the workload with a James Harden. He's kind of been the guy for them. Um, and I know they, they kind of go with the three-point guard attack, and so he's not always handling the ball. But for all intents and purposes, he is the guy there, and that is a, a big burden on him. But, I mean, again, I, I don't think, you know, if you ask me right now and what the matchups would be, it'd be Denver-Dallas, which I think is – Eh, I don't know. I, I wonder if Dallas could take a couple games off Denver. Um, I mean, I, I would def, I'd probably lean towards that being a five-game series, and then Clippers-Thunder, I'd lean towards that being a five-game series as well. Uh, With the Clippers, I, it depends who's available. Like, I, I don't know who's, who's ever available with this team. But, um, I, yeah, I would so, even like, those six are probably five six for the
0: Nuggets-Mavericks, uh, It could, yeah. No, it, yeah. Could, it definitely could. Um, um, like, I it think also really depends on you
1: have I think it depends on two, which is probably why I would – lean towards six as well as like who do you have to throw on Luca because in right. like the clipper like the clippers can throw Kawhi pg pat bev um you know maybe even marcus morris the, the, depending on um you know sort of how, maybe the clippers zone up a lot too so it kind of depends on that but like you marcus know against the,
0: physical too
1: yeah but against like and the rockets obviously can can throw a covington on him can throw a pj tucker um can throw even austin rivers who i think is an underrated defender uh whereas like teams like the lakers and the nuggets i don't really love their matchups against luka um you know one-on-one so those you know that's where i think you've seen luka play better um especially in like that that lakers matchup where they had that game early in the season and they had the the game in la where they came in and, and blew out the lakers so um yeah, so I, I think you got to have someone who could defend Luca one on one, or, or reasonably defend him. You're, you're never going to stop him, but um, force him into tough shots, really be physical and, and big against him. And so that's where. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we're 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 in agreement here. I'm not by any means saying Dallas or OKC is going to win the first round series. I just think they're tough teams that could push a, a hard fought four or five game series. Where if you're the Lakers or you another team ends up with the one seed. I think you're gonna have an easier time against a Memphis or a Portland.
0: Yeah, that was gonna be my last question to you, real quick, before I let you go. Uh, Portland, New Orleans, Memphis. Who do you think gets the eighth seed?
1: So New Orleans has the easiest schedule, uh, remaining schedule, and I, but with them, for me, it's just the health where they have so many health wildcards. Um, like if you, you know, if you told me this team is going to, be...
0: they have five games. Like they, they are five games out of the playoffs behind, which is uh, a lot. Memphis.
1: Yeah, Um, and for me, it's it's really Memphis or Portland. Um, Portland, I I thought they'd be in a better position at this point because you know they're three and a half games back. But I also like sometimes just looking at the record where it's like you know Memphis is one game above five hundred, Portland is six games under five hundred. Like that, that's a big kind of swing there. Um, I I would lean. The the thing with
0: Portland is an issue. Is you know we don't really know how much longer Lillard is going to be out exactly. Exactly. or how long he's going to be affected by the injury. Like, he might come back because he realizes, holy shit, I have to come back for us to have a shot at this. I mean, it's going to be tough, I think. I I think that this has really worked out for Memphis right now.
1: At the same time, I'm quickly looking this up, but I'm pretty sure Memphis Yeah, Memphis has actually significantly the hardest schedule left in the league. Yeah. Um, so... You know, they, they're straight of the schedule. is a 56.2 win percentage, um, which is ridiculous. They still got two games against the Lakers, two games against the Raptors, a game against the Celtics, a game against the Bucks. Like, they might go 0-6 in, in that stretch just alone. Um,
0: yeah, their, their next three so, are on the road against the Lakers, Clippers, in Houston.
1: Yeah, they didn't even have Clippers in Houston in, in this toughest opponent. Yeah. Um, uh, but but they play the the Pelicans twice, and that's going to be you know pretty big. Um, obviously the the head to head there, I, I yeah, would lean Memphis. They go Memphis to, they right go to because,
0: Portland twice as well.
1: So I I would lean Memphis, uh, just because of the I think the uncertainty with the Dame situation. Uh, although they are going to get Nurk back at some point, um, or it's I think so, unless there's been an update that I'm not aware of. Um, and it's unclear new or- when,
0: but it seems likely he will come back
1: and then, and then new orleans i just like you said they're five games back and you know between drew holiday Derek favors jj reddick um maybe even zion like there are a lot of health questions for me of you know can this team stay healthy um over the next 30 games right so yeah or the 27 games left but I would lead, I would say Memphis is the favorite for me right now, um, and, and probably the, the team that I'd be most interested to see. Well, actually, I don't know about no, that. I, probably I, New Orleans.
0: I would be much more interested to see New Orleans. Uh, You're right,
1: right. But I would love to see Jaw in a playoff series. Uh, yeah, I
0: totally agree. Uh, having said that, here is – New Orleans has just like a stretch of unbelievable luck, like from the time that um, – mid March Hits. It's Atlanta, San Antonio, which who knows what San Antonio is going to look like by mid March, just in terms of like are is everyone still playing, because I'm just unclear on what their long term goals are here. Um, they go to Memphis, which is a critical game, and then Sacramento, and then they have a home game against Memphis. Then after that, New York, Orlando, Atlanta, Washington, San Antonio, Charlotte, Phoenix, The Sixers is a tough one. And then Washington, San Antonio to close the year. Like if they can keep this, if they can win tonight at Portland without Dame, they can beat the Warriors on the road. And then you can lose this game to the Lakers on the road and be fine. Like you go two and one on this little mini road trip, man. I I think that they're going to play. I think they're going to have the best record of these three teams coming down the stretch. Five games is a lot though. Five games is an awful big number to jump in terms of Memphis. I think I would take Memphis to make the playoffs, but I think New Orleans will be the best team over these, like, last 30.
1: I, I agree with that. I think – I mean, Memphis basically has to collapse um, because yeah. if, if they just stay around 500, you're basically saying the Pelicans have to make up, you know, nine games to get to 500 um, or at least in that, you know, seven to nine games to kind of get in that mix. So,
0: yeah, by the way, it's... by the end of next week, like, if the – if Memphis goes zero and three in this Lakers Clippers Rockets road trip, which is totally conceivable, right? Um, and then New Orleans really does what it should do in beating Portland on the road without Dame, and then beating Golden State. It's within three with twenty five games to go, and then I feel like it's kind of on.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I so, you're right. I'd rather see New Orleans be the eight seed uh just because of zion and and I, I think they're they're deeper than memphis they're they're funky they're they're more interesting than Memphis, but I think there is something too though to seeing like Ja um in a playoff series you know being schemed against uh, as the primary ball handler you know like yeah. that that to me is just a a fascinating kind of chess match
0: yep yeah, totally agree uh Yovan, tell the people what uh what you've got coming up where they can find your work, all of that uh fun stuff.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. You could read my work on The Athletic. Uh, just go to the Clippers section. also have a podcast, Clip City, um, for The Athletic. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts, um, as well as some subscriber-only episodes. Um, and to subscribe for that, well, you should already be subscribed to The Athletic if you're not, but... If you're not, for whatever reason, and you are a Clippers fan listening to this, um, you can go to theathletic.com slash ClipCity to um, help out the podcast. But yeah, uh, today, uh, went up, uh, State of the Clippers, my 10-game check-in on the team, 10 different storylines, so I get into strength of schedule, the closing lineup, uh, some of Paul George's struggles lately, uh, Landry Shamit's play. Uh, you know, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, kind of break that down. So, um, check that out. Also wrote about Patrick Beverly's uh, homecoming during All Star Weekend, Reggie Jackson's fit. Uh, so a bunch of different Clipper stuff. If you're interested in that, uh, so yeah.
0: Go follow all of Jovan's work. He's fantastic. He's one of my favorite people who works at the athletic uh i wrote about yudoka as this week and why i think he's been the best player in the best center in college basketball this season so far uh please go read my case it's long and wonky in terms of defense uh usc usc i'm a big uh big uh onyeka okongwu guy are you a? <laughs> have you have you dove in yet
1: not, not yet. I, I I read your piece. I I learned a lot. I I did not know anything going into it. Uh, but but no. I mean, uh, it's been a weird decade for for USC sports, <laughs> which of course coincided with the decade I became a Trojan and uh, became a fan of, of Trojan athletics. But uh, I, I've not admittedly like I I'm so focused on the Clippers and, and what's going on with them that I have not kept up as much as I should. But I, I will around draft time start to dig into that stuff, and and that's when I read your work and and start to really learn about these guys but um based on what you wrote i was very intrigued by his defensive potential
0: onyeka is a stud i am i'm all in on onyeka um a lot of nba teams are very in on okongwu he is like he's gonna go in the top 10 i think um I'm trying to think what else. Is there anything else? I'm trying to finish up the Rookie Scale project. That's why I've only written once this week. So uh, keep it locked here for that. I'll update my big board next week. But, yeah, until next time, I think we'll talk soon. Bye.